every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and this is a special podcast. Andrew Flint joining me as always. Andrew, I'm wearing the Rocket from Russia t-shirt. You know why I'm wearing it? Oh! You know, cause like, because Rocket from Russia Festival Christmas special coming up, right? That too, but also because Tim isn't here and I, I, I would have felt lonely. Uh, you know, so I, I decided in his honor, just for him, because he can't make it today, he apologized for not being able to make it. I'm wearing the Rocket from Russia t-shirt. Uh, that is merchandise that I want. Even more than a Tumen shirt. I'd even want it more it's than that. sweet. It has like a rocket on it, like a ha- stylized hammer and sickle. Uh, his radio show name and it says the Rocket from Russia. Although I wish it had his face on. You know, the, the Pavel and the Boris thing that they have. But yeah, it's, it's, it's designed, the designer is the same guy that designs the, uh, the cans for a local beer brewery. They do a pretty good job. So I'm happy with my attire. But yeah, as I said, Andrew, um, you all the way over in Siberia. I'm all the way back on the West Coast after a long trip. All alone, so it appears, but we are not because, um, you know, we thought, well, we, we have to bring him back eventually. Thankfully, we are recording at a new time, which makes this possible. Vadim is coming back. On the show, Vadim Formanov, our specialist on Ukrainian football. Vadim, I'm so happy you could make it on the show. How are you doing? Good, good. It's a pleasure to be back. Hopefully, we'll be able to do this more often. Yeah, I hope so too, and I hope we can do this more often. But um, maybe with a more um, uplifting topic than the one that we do have to discuss, because you know um, this is a game which in the region that we cover is one of the biggest ones. It's a game that happens a lot now because um, of the, the format change in Ukrainian Premier League. Uh, if you if you don't know what format change I'm talking about, shame on you, or go listen back to some of the episodes where we discuss the Ukrainian Premier League um, and the, the format now where teams play each other four times. Is that correct, Vadim? Um, uh, they play the normal... You know, round robin, yeah. every team plays each other twice, and then the league splits into two. So you have the the championship round and the relegation round. So the Nalon Shakhtar effectively end up playing each other four times a year. And plus then the, the cup, cup, plus the, the super cup that they play each other in, and the cup, which just happened, that makes for six fixtures a year. Yeah, but I, I guess it's also one of those games where traditionally it used to be four. Um, not so for this time. This this wasn't a good game by any stretch of the imagination to begin with. But uh, unfortunately, in this game, we also had the latest, latest incidents of racism in European football. Uh, I, I I could say here, this is something that happens just in Eastern Europe. We have discussed this many, many times on the pod, and various articles on footballgrad.com, racism in football 
in Russia, in Ukraine, in other parts of Eastern Europe. Um, but um, I mean, Italy is going through a huge crisis at the moment. And in the precursor of this, of this podcast, we chatted off the record about some of the incidents that this reminded us of. But let, let's talk about this particular incident. Vadim, maybe talk us through what actually happened in this latest, um, Ukrainian classic. This match was Ukrainian classical, as they call it, uh, between Dynamo and Shakhtar, taking place in Kharkiv, which is obviously where Shakhtar play their home matches now. So this was the, you know, the racist chanting, the monkey sounds that were coming from the away sector of the Dynamo fans. And so they started in the second half, uh, in this, the stadium announcement warning, warning the supporters to stop racist chanting, which is actually the first time I've heard something like that happen, to have an actual stadium announcement specifically directed. You know, a lot of times they'll have warnings about pyrotechnics and things like that, but this was very targeted against the racism. But then in the 74th minute, everything kicked off when uh, Tyson committed a foul. Then he turned to the Dynamo sector, showed them the middle finger, and kicked the ball at them. Uh, he was quickly joined by Dentinho and other Shakhtar players. Then the Dynamo players followed and tried to calm them down. They tried to calm down the Dynamo Ultras, who some of whom rushed down to field level as if they were gonna, about to start a fight with Tyson and the Shakhtar players. It was a ridiculous sight. Uh, Tyson and Dentinho broke down crying, which was a very sad sight to see, obviously. The referee suspended the match for about... It couldn't have been longer than five minutes. Then... As the players got back on the field, he showed Tyson a straight red card for the middle finger for the inappropriate gesture, and you know Tyson kind of incredul- incredulously walked off the pitch with some. Uh, I think the the one bright spot out of any of this is that is that the Dynamo some of the Dynamo players were very supportive and in trying to comfort him as he was walking off the pitch. That's that's the summary of what how it went down. Yeah, I saw the video. Um, I think Andrew, I I saw that you reacted on it on Twitter as well. What was your first reactions when you saw this? I uh, just pure disappointment. Um, to be honest, uh, because it's you know, but, but there's no point in us taking a, an excessively high moral high ground um, on this. There is racism all over the world. We've said this a million times. It's not a revolutionary thing to say, but it, it's the attitude towards it. Um, Dynamo. Kiev um, and Vadim will be able to explain more about the the exact history of this, but they they were wearing no to racism on their shirts, and as I understand, that was came about from a previous incident a year or two ago, and I mean it's it service to any disciplinary measure is is frustrating in football, but when it's something that goes way beyond the sport like this, uh, I just think how. How can an organisation that is responsible for the clubs, the welfare of the players, of the fans, um, that has a social responsibility, whether they like to admit it or not, and I'm not saying specifically Dynamo here even, but football clubs in general, they cannot just bypass the fact that they are more than just teams that play football um, once or twice a week. They have a social responsibility. Uh, And UEFA, as the governing body, how you can just simply say, a campaign that simply says no to racism. Um, and then the punishments that are handed out, sending off a player for fairly understandably reacting to completely blatant um, racism is just, uh, it just... It just makes my heart sink when I see things like this because I'm not sure how it's going to change. 
if a governing body are not prepared to educate and set a reasonable example, um, then it, it's, it, it's a bit depressing, to be honest. Um, that was my main reaction. Mm. And what will happen from now on, we'll see. And I want to give, I want to give Ukrainian authorities the chance to react to the fallout from this. People have to learn, and if they haven't dealt with it correctly the first time, it doesn't mean that it should, they will never get it right. I hope they will learn from this, but um, I'm not going to hold my breath. You know, it's not just Ukraine and oh, in this matter, right? And you point this out um, because it, it would be very easy for Western Europeans to take the moral high ground here and say like, oh, look, this is all that happens in Eastern Europe. I mean, this happened in Eastern Europe. Of course, the England incident in Bulgaria comes to mind, right? With the, the countless chant, e e like monkey yeah. chants directed against English footballers. But then I, I remember when Chelsea were in Munich um, for the Champions League final and the, the way they behaved there or the incidents with Chelsea fans in Paris as well, right? Um, the anti-Semitism that you have in a lot of stadiums in England, the racist incidents that we have in, in parts of Germany, um, the rise of RFD, you know, like there is the, the, the problems that you have in Italy. We, we, we talked about the, the Kevin Prince's Boateng story, a similar incident. He wasn't sent off, but he shot the ball into the crowd. Um, we talked about Koulibaly at Napoli, who was also sent off. Um, you know, so these, these, these are, these are some places like Italy. Um, I, I, I can talk about endless incidents like that. Um, so it, Western European media likes to take the high ground on this. They shouldn't. I think what makes this so problematic in many ways, and, and this is something that maybe Odim, you can talk about a little bit because Dinamo Kiev are, not just a repeat offender, they are repeat, 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 repeat offender. I mean, this has been going on in this club's fan scene as long as I've been covering football in Eastern Europe. They're one of the worst when it comes to this kind of, you know, there is elements of racism in a lot of um, Eastern European clubs. Um, CSKA Moscow, for example, comes to mind that has gotten better, I think. Um, Dinamo is not getting any better whatsoever and they've gotten away with it quite a lot. They're wearing that no to racism on the shirt, which, of course, the players themselves, they reacted. I think the way the players reacted, and Yori pointed this out, was quite significant. Um, but the club itself is not doing enough. Now, Vadim, what has been the reaction then in Ukraine um, to this incident? How have the players reacted? And how has you know the club reacted and, and the people in charge of the club? Well, the reaction from the press and from other players and obviously from Shakhtar has been one of universal condemnation. And it even, you know, this, this, this is the first time I think Ukrainian club football has been in the news outside of Ukraine in a very long time. And obviously under very unfortunate circumstances because this was a story that was very broadly picked up by BBC, Sky Sport Italia, Talk Sport. And, uh, a lot of Brazilian players like Coutinho, uh, Neymar, the original Ronaldo, they all went on social media to express their support for Tyson. So this is a story that's that's you know, exploded well beyond just Ukraine. Uh, so there needs to be some kind of strong reaction from Dinamo. Uh, in the immediate aftermath, you know, Castro, the, the Shakhtar manager, he didn't even want to discuss anything that happened in the match itself. He only wanted to discuss the racism. But the Dinamo manager, Alexei Mikhailchenko, just kind of said, oh, I, I don't really understand what happened. Uh, and then 
you know, the, the Dinamo's response was fairly typical. They had no racism posts on Twitter and on Instagram, you know, were very, very significant, very symbolic, obviously. Uh, but then the official statement that they, that they, that they released was basically saying, oh, it's too early to blame anyone. We need to have an investigation. And I understand where that's coming from. Like, you don't want to, you know, immediately ban everybody at the stadium from, uh, from attending without doing any kind of, you know, due process. But at the same time, this statement was so, it just, it was tone deaf. It, it made it seem like, oh, we're not really sure if anything happened. We don't know if any, any of our fans did anything wrong. When you can clearly see and hear on videos the monkey noises coming from the Dinamo sector, and it almost and I saw this on Twitter, it 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 was almost reminiscent of Donald Trump's infamous "There are good people on both sides" speech about the neo-Nazi protesters. It almost felt like you know Dinamo was saying the same thing that oh well yes there might be bad people but it's too early to come to judge anyone. But but Dean, this has been going on for so long inside this club with the same fan scene. They. They can't tell me that, you know, that the circus brothers, the people in charge, they can't tell me they don't know who these people are. No, it, it's, it's, the biggest incident that's happened, I think, that we all know about is when four, maybe even five years ago at this point, it was the match against Chelsea when mm. it wasn't even directed at the players. Uh, Dynamo Ultras beat up four black supporters inside the stadium. And it was very clear on camera what happened, who the perpetrators were, and basically nothing was done about it. So this is this is not a question of, you know, can you identify the perpetrators and punish them? It's a question of is there any any desire, any will to do this? And it honestly seems like the answer has historically and currently still remains no. And that's a question to the authorities because I I remember talking to. Uh, people at fair, you know, and they have a representative in Ukraine, someone who was very active there. And the, the, the actions done by the authorities, and this, this is people outside of football, have been close to zero when it comes to clamping down on that. And I'm talking about city authorities in Kiev. But I also don't understand why the club, the club is not doing anything about it, you know, because obviously they, they're putting the slogan on their shirt. Um, but it's not like that they're actually following this up with any hard action. No, uh, not at all. And no, I think this might be internal relations between the ultras and the club and, and how much power the ultra movement really has, you know, kind of has, I, th this goes beyond my immediate level of understanding of, of the relations between between the club and the and the organized supporters groups but i imagine it's something that that the club doesn't want to retaliate against the supporters group for fear of some kind of violent reaction or something no i i really i really can't say for sure but i did want to point out that kiev authorities haven't done anything but in the aftermath of this uh, kharkiv police have opened up a criminal matter about this uh I'm not that optimistic that anything will actually come of it, but it is it is a good sign that maybe something will be done. Maybe they will try to identify the people responsible for this. It's so interesting too because obviously Kharkiv is very much dependent um on Shakhtar playing there, right? So, you know, that is technically Kharkiv's is technically Shakhtar's home. Um and it will be interesting to see how that will impact investigations against against these people. But I mean 
um, Ukraine is such a disjointed country. Will it even matter if Kharkiv city authorities open investigation against these people that are sitting in Kiev? What's your opinion on that, Vadim? Well, they're long gone from, from Kharkiv now. They're back in Kiev. So I don't know what what they can possibly accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual punishment for Dynamo that the uh, Ukrainian Association of Football can... Um, can do is just one match behind closed doors and a punishment and a, and a, and a fine of about $20,000. And that's, that's what they're statutorily limited. You know, that, that's the maximum punishment. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. You know, does does Andrew? This makes me laugh because um, because you. I, I'm trying not to laugh right now. You know, it, it shouldn't laugh because this is a serious matter. But you know what? It, what I was going to get at your club right now, two men. Um, they are short of paying a player money, and FIFA is basically keep on keeps on taking points away from them until indefinitely. Same happened to Nepro, right, uh, Vadim? Um, so. Oh, yeah. When it comes to money, FIFA is very quick of clamming it down and like coming down with really harsh punishments. And then you have this, which is such a serious matter. Money, it's, it's, uh, it's infuriating. It is, I know what you mean. Like we, it is such an absurd situation. I'm laughing at the absurdity of it all. When you consider that, I mean, there are a million examples that people have put out on social media that everybody is aware of that make it so ridiculous. That maximum punishment that Vadim's just described, as a fine, $20,000. I mean, Nicholas Bentner was fined 80,000 euros for having sponsored underpants on. I mean, four times worse to have a sponsored underpants. And it was from a bookmaker, which football is in bed with bookmakers and has been for many years, that is basically funded one part of the industry and they are finding them four times as much as to criticize and humiliate and denigrate somebody for their the, their race. And the, I just I, I can't even believe the words I'm saying. It's like how on earth anybody can actually look at that. This look, it doesn't matter what level they actually if they were in some magical positive land um, to actually take action properly, even if it was just for you know, their own, to, to show people, oh, look, we're doing something about it. Even if they only did half of what they need to do, it's better than what they're doing now. You know, by that, I mean proper punishment. And by proper punishment, I, I would just get rid of the concept of stadium closure. I just think it's a 
nonsense punishment, fines even more so. Dock points and then hand over the responsibility, like de delegate, if you like, the responsibility to the clubs. So the clubs can run, you know, FIFA cannot run a campaign that it is directly in line with every single supporter group because there are just so many clubs around the world. Hence, delegate the responsibility to each confederation. Start docking points in the league for clubs that have a record of this. If that doesn't do it, then start punishing the entire um, national association. Take a place away from European football or something like that. And if the country as a whole still doesn't take enough action, start punishing the international teams. Start saying we'll take points off your national team. Um, whatever it takes to, to, to get action to be taken. Um, I mean, setting a, setting a maximum fine, $20,000, when you can fine people 80000 for having sponsored underpants. I'm just, it's, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. I, I just, I I'm you. speechless. I, I had to look this up, um, and I, I remember this because I, just, I had to look it up just to double check, check that I'm actually sure. Here in Canada, actually, we have very stiff fines. Um, when it comes to hate speech, hate crime, um, and this would fall under the hate crime. I'm not sure how it is in the United States, but Vadim, I know you're studying law, so maybe you can enlighten us. But in Canada, um, this can carry hate speech and hate crime, as it was the case in this, can carry a two-year imprisonment sentence. Wearing your wrong underwear to work, um, you know, you wouldn't be even be able to be fired for that. And that, that, that is the part that baffles me. Right. A football is supposed to be a mirror of society, yet we have these laws and rules and regulations that make it almost impossible to find, find someone for, um, for something like this. A club can basically operate outside the laws of most civilized countries. Um, and a $20,000 fine, that makes me laugh. What do you, what, what do you think? about this i mean a with your background but also b what what is what would you think would be the just thing to do here um and this this is of course completely opinion opinionated well first uh hate speech in the united states is actually legally protected by the first amendment so you cannot be punished just by the government just for for speech so that's the answer to the first question that you had uh I, I I mean I I generally agree with everything that Andrew Andrew was talking about. Uh, start with point deductions. You know I think when when what happened with the the incident I was mentioning earlier with the at the Chelsea match, it was also a fine and a stadium closure for two matches, which was later reduced to one, which was just pitiful for given what happened and given given that the club did nothing about it, did nothing to punish the people. And this one, that one wasn't just even, even monkey chance or something. Not, not to minimize the impact of that. That was actual physical violence against supporters just for the color of their skin. And all that happened after that is the notes for racism shirts. So, what is a $20,000 fine and one match behind closed doors really going to accomplish if there's no will within the club to actually do anything about this? Yeah, I think, you know, what, what, what boils down to, to me. I'm actually surprised by the U.S. laws um, about hate speech, but that's a completely different topic. Um, it's the the fact that, and Andrew, you probably remember this. Um, 
The fact that the, the English clubs were banned from Europe for incidents of violence in international football. Yeah. And, um, that we're now so, that the UEFA now and FIFA seems so toothless in this matter. Because I think I, I'm, I'm with both of you, you know, um, you have a club like Dynamo Kiev, such a repeat offender has had incidents in, in UEFA matches. And it probably helps that the Circus brothers have quite a lot of influence in UEFA. And I'm, I'm saying this out loud now. Um, you know, they, they were sitting in the executive branches of UEFA. So of course, Dynamo Kiev got away with murder. Um, but this is such a repeat offender. And the fact that they're still allowed to play in international competitions after everything that happened, I think that's where you need to start. You need to, you need to just ban a club like that. Um, from playing in international competitions for a few years. And Vadim, remind me again that, that against Manchester City, they were supposed to play behind closed doors in the round of 16 in Champions League, I think two years ago. And they basically got away with that one as well. This was like, this was 2015, I think. Time and, flies. This was yeah, way long. Time does fly. I thought it was 2016, but you know, that incident where they were supposed to play behind closed doors and they basically got away with it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they ended up. I think the original punishment was two matches behind closed doors, and they only played one. And then for the Manchester City match, they reopened it kind of last minute. But I'm not a hundred percent sure on how that happened. But that was basically the extent of the punishment. Yeah, it's basically nothing. Yeah, it, it's it's a very very complicated matter. Um, I think the bottom line is, and I think we can all agree on it: not enough is being done. Um. To curb the problem, because otherwise there wouldn't be one. I mean, I just one last thing I'll add on this: that um, the absurdity of all of this is the the is the lack of action, and the 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 thing that frustrates me the most is to is very it's not complicated to actually take the right appropriate action, and whatever anybody tries to do, there is no short term solution to this. Uh, to these incidents that happen, it has to be a long-term solution. These fine staging closures, it's all done and dusted and wrapped up and everybody's forgotten about it a moment later. The shirts that Dynamo are wearing, the no to racism, I don't actually know what no to racism campaign does, and that says it all. Mm. Um, it just it reminds me of a, a tweet I saw recently, and probably the whole world had seen it recently as well, that a picture that was dug up from... And, and the reason I'm saying this is because it's not a new problem. 33 years ago, I think it was, there was a picture of a, a charity match. There's a picture of um, Michel Platini and Diego Maradona. And, and Platini's shirt says, no to corruption. This is Michel Platini advertising no to corruption, the irony. And on Diego Maradona's shirt, it says no to drugs. Exactly. I mean, it's right. If you're going to be two people... Okay, yes, I know it's easy to say in hindsight, but two people standing there, you could not pick more appropriate people to just show the absurdity of football and campaigns on shirts. Yeah. A campaign on nothing. A campaign's got to mean something long-term. There needs to be money invested into school programs, education, etc., etc., etc. It can't just stop. You can't just print a label on a shirt and hope for the best, and I think that's what Dinam was basically doing. Um, yes, cool. They also like tweeted out every once in a while. Um, I don't know if, 
how many Ukrainians use Twitter. I think that was mostly based towards the audience in the West, to be quite frank. But um, I think that's really, I think it has the stadium closers on their own. And this is, this is something that I've pointed out many, many times. I think they are a tool that needs to be used, but they have to come in congestion with, with education and investing into education programs. FIFA um, brands itself of building all these soccer pitches around the world. Maybe they should just fund some school programs instead. And, um, you know, instead of paying more or less federations um, by building school f- soccer fields for them, maybe they should like actually help on the ground a little bit more with educating people because um, the no to racism slogan um, does very little. And I mean, there was a Champions League campaign now. I was at the Champions League games um, last week and they had the hashtag no to racism hold up in the camera. I think that was partly organized by FAIR, and I believe those kind of campaigns do little to nothing. Um, you know, that money that was wasted on social media, Instagram posts, and flying people to matches to take pictures of racism incidents could be spent much better on the ground into into school projects. That's my personal opinion, um, because I know these things are expensive. Flying people around to conferences, that's expensive. Um, I think it'd be much better to actually speak to people on the ground rather than having people sent to the stadiums. That's my opinion. Um, you know, people can feel free to disagree, but I think um, it accomplishes very little. And I think we just saw in Ukraine that I'm more or less correct. Vadim, I know you, you want to head off, um, but before I let you go, um, I'm really curious on your thoughts on the Ukrainian national team because that's a topic that's much more positive than what we saw with Dynamo Kiev. Qualified for Europe already um, for the Euro sure. 2020, the the Pan-European Championships. Um, mm-hmm. Basically left with two friendlies. What's your thoughts on Ukraine's national team at the moment? Uh, it's, you know, in, in a very long time of watching and being depressed about the Ukrainian national team, this is the first time I've actually felt positive and optimistic. No, I don't think we're going to win the Euros, but I also don't think we're going to leave without scoring a single goal this time around. Uh, the you know the midfield three of Zinchenko, Molinovsky, and Stepanenko is probably the best we've ever had. You know, for for an entire generation, all you needed to do to shut down Ukraine was to shut down Konoplyanka and Yermolenko. You know, those were the only two threats we had, and now it's just so much more dynamic, so much more. You know, the the passing it's so much more fluid. Uh, it, like Shevchenko has really just revolutionized the squad, revolutionized the tactics, and it's honestly become a pleasure to watch. If if we could have prime Shevchenko as a striker of this team, then we could really do some damage, I think. But that would that's you know wishful thinking. But still qualified ahead of Portugal, out of yeah. a, out of a very difficult group. It's Luxembourg gave us the most trouble. Yeah, uh, 15 to 2 goals in 7 matches, 1-6, drew 1. Yeah, that 5-0 over Serbia was the high point. Yeah, and the Serbia game that you have, because you're playing um, Estonia, Mark Timnitski, he uh, yeah. previewed that game already over on Football Grad, but then you're playing Serbia, which is basically a glorified friendly at this point as well. So Yeah, you have quite a few injury absences. Yeah. Also for Serbia, uh, this uh, if assuming Portugal beat Lithuania and Luxembourg... Then for Serbia, this match is also equally meaningless. Mm. Uh, they can still get through through the Nations League because they won their Nations League group. But this match doesn't seem like there's a whole lot riding on it. Good time to experiment. Well, Vadim, yeah. 
it was a great pleasure having you on as always i i i know you have a little bit of a cold and it's late where you are so uh, i want to let you go so you can get some much needed rest um before you go anything that you want to plug um where can people find you etc uh you can find me on twitter at vfermanov not much to plug at the moment unfortunately hopefully in the new year well anytime and a pleasure to have you on and i know this time is time um, that we're doing the podcast these days works much better so we'll have you on more often absolutely well, thanks guys everyone Vadim Fomanov always a pleasure to have him on um, yeah Andrew national team games um, <laughs> yeah because Ukraine is not the only country that's already qualified um, we got Russia already through as well um, did, we ex- do. did we expect them to get seven wins out of eight games in this group? I don't think we did. Uh, no, if I'm being honest, I didn't expect them to get seven. I did expect Russia to qualify from the group. Uh, I thought that the, the Scotland away game, that was, I would say concern, but I thought dropped points might happen there. Um, I, I, th- I would have been very happy if you'd said at the beginning of the campaign, that um, that Russia would draw away to Scotland, you know, grind out a result against Cyprus away and and beat and beat everybody else, and, and that would have been enough. But it's, I mean, on results looks a, a smooth ride. Seven seven wins out of the the last seven played Belgium on the opening opening game week, uh, and that itself that performance was a good one in Belgium, although they lost. Um, scoring from a tight angle and it, you know they Russia put up a good fight but I, and this is this does I don't think it really matters that much I've asked you this before on the pod Manu, but what you think about you know the importance of friendlies who qualifies qualifying at end of they, we've had two 1-0 wins at home uh, against Kazakhstan who are uh, they are ranked I think below 100 and they were hammered 4-0 away, but it should have been 0-0 um, in Kaliningrad. A very fortunate free kick given to, to Russia to get us through that one. 1-0 against Cyprus. These are not, you know, they're not great performances, but Russia have done the job. It doesn't matter. If you win 1-0 or 10-0, who cares in a qualifier, right? Um, yeah. It's, 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 very, it's very positive to be heading into this Belgian game, knowing we don't really need a, a result of any kind, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 been refreshing. Like Vadima said, it's been a while since he feels good about the Ukrainian national team. It's been a while since we felt this comfortable and calm and excited about the Russian team too. So, um, football grad region is is having a good time of it. Yeah, but who's playing a playing goal now that we like a successfully talked uh, Solzhen Chanayev <laughs> into into goal after in our last podcast? Remember that we chatted about that. Now he's actually called up. Um, I feel like that was our doing. But who's going to play in goal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think um, stubborn as Mr. Chichesov is, uh, I think even he has to admit that he's got to start looking at other options fairly soon. Yeah. And clearly, I do think it's one of the best periods uh, in domestic football, anyway, of strong goalkeepers who could play for the Russian national team. I mean, from every age group as well. You know, yes, the squad has been revitalised. The old guard, the old boys club even, has been removed. You know, the 35-year-olds, the 33-year-olds. 
Um, but even still, Chichasov does like some experienced players. Well, you've got the likes of Anton Shunin having absolutely unbelievable run of form. Uh, I think he's only missed something like five games of the last 150 for Dynamo, uh, and he's earned it as well. Mm. Um, and uh, even Mikhail Kershikov, uh, in a Zanit standing in for Lunyov, is doing a good job. Um, and then you've got the youngsters coming through, and yet he still seems to persist with Guillermo. I can't understand it. But there is talk, uh, Manu, excitingly, right, of arguably the greatest legend of modern Russian football coming back to play for the national team, Mr. Akinfeyev. Um Do you think this would be a mistake or not? What's your instinct on that? It's it's always, I mean, the idea was that <laughs> you open the door for the younger generation, right? Um, in fairness, the keepers that he's called up right now are 33, 32, 32. So for the players that are called up at the moment, it's not like you, you're, you're having younger keepers there but then you do um you know there's there's a bunch of younger keepers playing at other clubs there's a couple of keepers playing abroad uh, it's, it's it's a difficult one because do you do you just call up a keeper or try to get a keeper to come back because there is no younger options or do you go for a clean break that you will have to do after this tournament anyways that's that's always that's always one that you have to consider because you you know that if Akinfeev comes back, I I think a keeper at thirty three isn't that old, um you know because oh. the wear and tear on goalkeepers is very different than it is on a field player. Um you know they will have you at, at this age you do have problems. Um you know shoulders will will go. Um simply I think Akinfeev has torn his ACL twice. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so those are injuries that you feel, but you can compensate that much easier because you can put on muscle mass much more as a keeper than you can do as a field player, right? Because you simply don't have to run 16 kilometers a game. Um, which makes your recovery time, recovery at a high, at an older age much easier. Because, um, the big keepers, I mean, I met Manuel Neuer the other day, um, Andrew, and he is my size and height. Um, and I mean, like, literally my size and height. Right? He's a big, he's a big uh, lad. For, for listeners, I can assure you, I can assure you, listeners, that is, that is a, a size of frame you're talking about here. <laughs> uh, but they can get away with that because, you know, like, a goalkeeper doesn't need to carry that. I'm not saying he's fat because he's not. I mean, he's, it's, Money, I I think the the Akinfeyev issue um, is it's split into two sections from for um, for one of these, should we say? If it is just purely on ability, is Akinfeyev capable of being the Russian number one? Well, that's a fairly easy question to answer. Of course, he is. Yeah. Um, just on playing ability, at least. Now he he's he said um, he said he doesn't want to for the same reasons why he retired in the first place, but. For, for health reasons, for his problems with mm. his knee as well as his, like you mentioned, he's, he's done his ligaments before. Um, and there's, there's a very, very strong case behind that. Um, you could prolong your career by, uh, you know, two or three seasons even perhaps if you are not constantly traveling. And the actual workload of those extra games is, I don't know how much, I don't know how much it would make a difference to the longevity longevity of his career because you've got the winter break as well here yeah. where you really can rest up 
And he could even just request for some international games. Look, just give me a rest on some international breaks. Um, but for the important games, if you need me, if you want me, just on a playing sense, of course you can do a job. I, I think now that he's retired, I'm never a fan of a player reversing their decision to retire. It usually doesn't um, end well. It, it, exactly. It's, the, it's so rare on any level, at club level, international level, that it works out for the best. And, you know, it's not like Russia are, I mean, to have Akinfeyev back on a playing level would be good, yes. But Russia aren't desperate for a top-level keeper because they have so, like I mentioned, they have so many available to call upon. Um, and not all of them are, you know, wet behind the ears on their first couple of seasons of professional football either. So um, yeah. there isn't a desperation for him. So I think it's a slightly odd call from from Chichesov. Although... Really... Chechesov loves mm. proven players. Look at the whole Golo, they're not, yeah, Golo and, um, Charlov issue. You know, it's not caught up again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it's, um, the, the selection issues for Chechesov. I will still defend him, um, because he's done, he's done the most important job with the squad. He has got rid of the, I would call, you know, the clique that just ran the atmosphere of the national team. He's got rid of the 33-year-olds, and that was the probably the hardest job, although it seems obvious given their age, but it's hard to get rid of the, you know, established core of the side. And it was what needed to happen. The average, And the other thing you've got to remember, he's, even though he likes his established players, the Russia squad doesn't have that much experience. There's only one player in the current squad who has more than 50 international caps. Um, which is relatively rare for most countries, I would say. Mm. So he, I think he does strike a compromise. He does like his established players, um, in certain key positions anyway. Um, I, I think Juba, um, Artem Juba up front, he does play himself into the team. He's just in the form of his life and he deserves that. So I don't think there's any question there. Um, when it comes to the, the fringe players, that's where I find him slightly confusing because he could get the best of both worlds. He can have his established players in the key positions. You know, could have an, an experienced goalkeeper if that's where he feels comfortable. Artem Dubas captain up front. No problem at all with that because he's, he deserves that. But it, it's almost madness not to have the fringe players in the squad as younger players coming through because otherwise he's going to be, he's going to find the national team in the same position that he inherited it from where you've got a whole generation of players, but not many people are the younger age group who've been given, who've been blooded into the system to replace them. Um, you need to grade it, I think. Um, but we'll see. Hmm. Uh, it's not the worst issue to be debating about the national team. We've had worse issues to debate before, right, Manu? Oh, um, absolutely. Like, he averaged 2.63 points in this, in this, uh, World Cup qualification. So hard to argue yeah. with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there, there are plenty of things we can, we can, um, pick up on. Yeah, like, but like, think... like, like the new set of Adidas shirts that just came out. Fail, <laughs> fail, fail. <laughs> All four that I saw. Um, yeah. Manny, just, just reassure me. I'm, I, I was busy scratching my eyes out with a rusty spoon. <laughs> Did I actually really see that? That is what they are going to wear. They look unbelievably Hideously ugly. The cuts are right the worst. The cuts. Did you see the, the, the cut of the, 
the Spain shirt. It looks like um, a, 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 it looks like a red bag. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't even fit precisely. It's like even whatever the design of the shirt, at least you assume that yeah. they are specifically designed for an athletic fit body, and they just don't even fit right. It's yeah. the 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 colours are utterly disgusting. Um, the thickness of the stripe doesn't even look retro. There's there's no sort of visible obvious yeah. or a kit or a shit about these shirts. I don't even like the the shade of the red. It's it's too bright. Which one of the um, shades? Yeah, because I, there's about five. Money, <laughs> please, please. This is just. It's like we're descending into a a vortex of let's find every single terrible aspect of a shirt and let's just throw it all together in so one design the best of the shirts that i saw was the germany one and it's still uglier than any pajama i ever wore as a kid well the the germany kits i said this to you um in our chat beforehand i actually am a big fan of germany kits historically but this I, one is I, the there's very well it, you know it is still a infinitely better than the russian one um in my opinion um, the Germany kits, there were so few over the last, I would even say 15, 20 years that I can actively say that's good. There's a lot of classic designs in there. I like the, the, the last Germany kit, the previous one with the sort of reminiscent of the 1990 Rudy yeah, Voller kit, I, you know, the yeah. strange. I like the design of that, you know, yeah, it's just um, the players that were wearing, wearing it weren't into it, but, um, I have, before before we move on, I have a funny anecdote about this. You know why that shirt was black and white? I don't go on, tell me. It's because they actually had for they didn't have the rights to use the uh the the black, red and yellow. So they had to like use a stylized version. It was supposed to be the same kit as the nineteen ninety version. Wait, wait, hang on a minute. This is this is Adidas we're talking about, yeah, right? That's right. Ad Adidas being a German company. Yeah. That produced the original kits. Yes. They, they had, don't have the rights to the kits they produced. Well, they actually got them back, but not in time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Manu, I don't think, I don't think my head can contain the absurdity of this, the things we've talked about in this podcast all in one go. Yeah. I mean, I that, bet you, I, I bet you if that shirt was black, red, and yellow, they would have defended their World Cup. Saying that right now. <laughs> It all started with the shirt. It went downhill from there. Black and white shirt. And then the, the, the training camp out at the, the Gulag. I mean, the Dutch are out in Moscow. And then fortnight until three o'clock in the morning. And having to wear that shirt, they were like, we're only going to wear that shirt for three games. Done. And I, you know what? It's probably going to be the same with that freaking pajama shirt. Because like, if you win a tournament in that, could you imagine having that on a poster everywhere? Like the European champions and that's going to be the shirt. Oh my God, please let the winner be a Nike team. Um, <laughs> this is football's way of balancing it out. Nobody actually wants to win and it makes it more exciting. Um, I, I definitely am, a, I definitely do agree with you though. A shirt can set the tone for a terrible form. I have, I have still have nightmares, Manu, from 23 years ago when Manchester United turned up at Southampton wearing a grey shirt. They were so bad that at half time they changed their shirt to the <laughs> white and blue shirt and get this get this money it's because we couldn't see each other on the pitch because it did <laughs> i 100 percent blame the kit not the fact we just played badly that day so i, I agree with you kits can change performances it's, it's, it's wonderful stuff 
Uh, Andrew, we do have to touch on the Russian Premier League. There were results this week, so let's just go quickly through those. Uh, we only have about 10 minutes left after this, but that's fine. We'll do it anyways. So, yeah, Ahmad Ural, 0-0. Hmm. That's your team, Andrew. Ruben Kazan, 0-1 yeah. to Dynamo Moscow. Dynamo Moscow winning games. Who knew? Rostov, Tambov, 1-2. Um, interesting one, because I actually wrote an article about the Rostov player that will come out probably tomorrow. Um, Spartak 2-0 against Krulia Suvetov. So Tim is definitely, definitely busy because, you know, Spartak won, he didn't come on and we're gonna have a couple of more Spartak topics. So he's <laughs> definitely busy. Orenburg 0-0 against Ufa. Arsenal Tula 0-1 to Zenit. Sochi 2, Seska Moscow 3. And Loco 1-1 against Krasnodar. Yes. Um, <laughs> those are the results. Uh, we have and how do you find this stuff? I mean, this Instagram um, featuring Lep and Sabi <laughs> slapping each other with fish on his Krasava show. Yeah, that basically is it. That is, um, you know, th this is the sort of content we, we get nowadays. You know, when maybe 40 years ago, there was epic political battles between Frost and Nixon. Today, we get Yevgeny Savin slapping Alexander Kiev in the face with a fish. That is what we live for, right? Um, but to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, Yevgeny Savin, for anybody who's not following him already on Instagram, he's a extremely, I actually do find him a likable character. He puts out a lot of engaging content, shall we say. Including it's not all high stuff. Fish. <laughs> well, slapping a fish. I mean, you don't really need to see it to understand it's not highbrow debate. But, what he does is, is a silly little game where he says to Alexander Klebb, they're both wearing Arsenal shirts, and he, he says, okay, it's kind of like a true or false game. I'll say a statement, and if, if it's, uh, if you say it's true when it's false, I slap you with a fish, and if you say it's, uh, and then vice versa as well. Um, and they actually do cover just, it's all bullet point, short, sharp things, but he talks about some of the, the celebrations, the, the players organized involving 70 girls in a pre-season, um, well, pre-season celebration. And Kleb said, yes, that's true. We did that. Um, he talks about, um, Cesc Fabregas throwing pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson, which is a big, big story a few years ago in England. Um, and so he, he does, he gets information out of people in a, Slightly silly, slightly modern way, but it, it was funny to see Alexander Kleb hitting a Tumen player with a fish. That's you're not going to get it elsewhere, really. That's, um, yeah, beautiful stuff. All right, let's move on. To how can you how can you segue from hitting Kleb in the face with a fish? Go on, do this. <laughs> I I, um, I I am totally lost for words. I mean, I mean, you know, fair, what you know wasn't lost for words. Domenico Tedesco <laughs> in his interview, <laughs> in his interview with the kicker. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Indeed. Yes. Uh, there was some beautiful stuff in this interview. Uh, Andrew, he did say, the interview was in German, so, you know, this is going to be my segment, uh, as I'm the only one on this podcast who can actually speak German. But, he did say Spartak Moscow were a big club. He was asked by Kicker um, whether he didn't want to wait for bigger opportunities maybe coming in the Bundesliga because there's so many pe jobs getting being freed up at the moment. 
Um, I don't think the one in Munich was, was one that they meant, meant with that, but you know, Köln fired their coach. Mainz, those are the kind of caliber clubs that maybe would have been perfect for him to wait in, but he said, like, no, Sparta got a big club. He was very interested in going to the club. Um, at the same time, he was also, you know, he was, he spent three days, um, checking out the facilities that that's why it took so long for him. Um, he also spent some time in Moscow to check out the city and um, the expectations and what awaited him. And he said, like, yeah, it's a very livable city. He's very much looking uh, forward to live there and work there. Um, they offered, Spartak offered him a five-year contract. And he only took a two-year contract because you, you never know what comes next, a.k.a. maybe a big job in Germany. And the one thing that I thought was really interesting is that he said that um, he still is still has a lot of heart in Schalke and it is always talk at Schalke that maybe there will be a time for him to come back and work work again in Gelsenkirchen. So um you know that's an interesting one. Maybe he's he's hoping that in a few years down the road that job will free up for him again. Maybe once he's collected some experience. I think if you are able to work successfully at Spartak you can handle even a club like Schalke. I think um you know Fidun is definitely a step up in um, working in a difficult club environment, even over Schalke, that doesn't, you know, there's not many clubs out there that are like that. And, um, he also, Andrew, and this was really interesting, he said, I am not a defensive coach. And I think results actually kind of speak for him in that regard. It's still a statement that kind of surprised me because, um, I watched Tedesco football or Tedesco ball for a year and, um, or two years, rather, a year and a half, that he was at Schalke. And I definitely think he that football is very defensive. Now, his result on the weekend was another positive one. Um, but what do you make of his statement? I mean, it was still a three in the back, um, a 5-3-2 at times. That's still pretty defensive, is it not? Well, I would say... From what I expected to what I've seen so far in a short period in charge at Spartak is, I wouldn't quite say defensive, but extremely well planned, should we say. Mm. Maybe slightly conservative for some people's standards, but he has somehow managed to mould Spartak into a extremely efficient counter-attacking side. And the best thing he's done, in my opinion, is to switch a winger, Zelimkram Bakayev, into a central attacker. And, I mean, one of the, the assists for the first goal um, is just unbelievable. But Bakayev had an amazing season last season with Arsenal Tula um, and was top scorer for them, I think, with something like eight or nine goals. That was his breakthrough season. And he's done even, even better for Spartak this season. And that includes under... The aimless coaching of Ali Kolonov. Um, but, and, and, and everybody saw him as an out and out winger and he is naturally a left footed winger. He's, he plays out wide, but playing centrally, he just, he absolutely dominates the ball, but he's so clever. He can find gaps. He can read the runs of his teammates and Tedesco spotted that. So he's already showing an intelligence to make the most out of his attacking players, even if naturally he is setting the team up with, like you say, three at the back, mm. which I actually think is a slightly misunderstood formation at times if the counter-attacking is organised enough. 
because it does give more options for more angles of attack, if you like. If you've got your wing backs pushing forward, you've got your whip, you've got a, if you have a Bakaya figure behind a striker or behind the strikers, if you're playing two, um, there's actually quite a lot of flexibility. And I think Spartak are going to be very, very streamlined under Tedesco, which is not what I expected. I thought it really would be the Schalke that I saw in Moscow last autumn. Um, when they came, played a dreary, dreary nil-nil until 85 minutes, and then Weston McKenney, I think it was, scored the winner for them, and they were just dull. There was no pace, there was no imagination about their counter-attacking, but at Spartak, I'm seeing something totally different. So, to say he's not an attacking, to say he's not a defensive coach, I, I'm starting to agree with him here, but not that he's an out-and-out attacking coach in the same way as other play, uh, managers are, but it's more interesting than I expected it to be, basically. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this entire project moves forward. Um, that's also actually where our, speaking of project, that's where our next, um, the long short news is, um, Spartak Moscow and Erzgebirge Aue, uh, Bundesliga two side, the, the club, the very club where Dominico Tedesco had his, um, breakthrough as a coach signed a cooperation agreement in both business and sporting matters and cultural areas as well. Um, it was all negotiated by Thomas Zorn and Helge Leonard, the, the uh, president of Erzgebirge Aue and the uh, Spartak general director with um, German heritage, I believe. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those two clubs are going to cooperate. I, I expect there probably is going to be some loan movements between the two clubs. Um, maybe, you know, some resources as well being delegated. Um, yeah, interesting. Of course, our, a former, uh, part, uh, area of East Germany, they were known as Wismut Aue during the time of the GDR. Um, yeah, something to keep an eye on, Andrew. Andrew, before we go, you were on television again, weren't you? In Russia. <laughs> well, you know, anybody who follows FC Chumen is a celebrity because there's so yeah. few of us around. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, my, my travels around following, uh, third tier Siberian side is, is getting a little bit of attention, I guess. Um, I had an interview with, uh, Yekaterinburg media organization, um, Nef magazine. There's quite a lot of online media, like in most countries, but Russia is not immune to this, this revolution, if you like, of, of a new type of media. Um, and, they, I, I had my two men scarf on with me at the Oralia Kattenberg match. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was fun. They were, they were asking about cultural differences between Manchester and two men. They were asking about how, why. And it's always the same look of utter surprise. And why on earth would you go to Novotoysk? Why would you go to? Zhigolovsk, why would you go to Dmitrovgrad to watch football? Um, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's good fun. And I, I hope I can, in my own little way, give a little extra exposure to a club that, um, the powers that be in the court of arbitration for sport in the Russian football union seem to have forgotten or at the very, or even worse, don't even care about. So I hope I can do my little bit. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun to spread the word about human. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a fun project and, uh, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to see what you're up to. And I think the TV appearances are well deserved. Andrew, 
that's it. We're out of time. Um, so other than being on television, what else do you have to pluck? Uh, well, we've got international breaks, so I'll be writing the Russia preview, and I'll write an England preview as well, uh, England Montenegro game um, for this week. So that'll be up on footballgrad.com. Uh, and I will eventually, finally, get round to writing an update of two men's season and my experiences of it for Football Grad again um, in the next week or two. I have some interviews lined up for that, which should actually be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. So, yeah, a lot more content coming coming your way. Yeah, awesome stuff. I am actually getting uh, an article up on Football Grad tomorrow as well on... Um, Rostov scoring machine, Eldor Shomorudov. Um, interest in, exciting one to write that. Finally having some time after being a week in Germany. Um, where I covered lots and lots of game and was there when Nico Kovac got sacked. So that, that story is up on Forbes.com and, um, you know, did a bunch of articles for International Champions Cup, including an analysis of the Classica. Also an, an, an article on the Classica between Bayern and Dortmund. The surprise result also on Forbes.com. So huh, it was a busy week, Andrew, but I, I, I survived and I'm really much looking forward to the international break there. I will be previewing some games as well. The Germany-Belarus game um, is one of them. And then probably also keep an eye on the various inter international Champions Cup stars, players um, on international duty and probably do something on Canada as well um, for Pro Soccer USA. So... Busy, 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 but not quite as busy as usual. So yeah, that's it. Um, all this content can be found on my Twitter at ManuelWeff. You can follow Andrew at AndrewMIJFlint. And you can find this podcast, all the other podcasts, all the articles that we do at Football Grad Live. Well, that's it. Until next week, das Vidanje. <laughs>Love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.